Good morning and welcome to our Tuesday devotional. Um, in case you don't know me, uh, my name is Eric. I'm a pastor at Epiphany Church in New York City and at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, uh, alongside with another devotional uh, uh, host, Bruce Hillman, uh, the senior pastor of the church. I serve alongside of him here in New Jersey, and uh, we're here to, uh, on behalf of Christ Hold Fast to uh, continue our series through 2 Corinthians. Now, uh, before I get into today's passage, I do want to acknowledge something that's a little boo-boo on my part, and that is that uh, for some reason, I went ahead and prepared something today for 2 Corinthians chapter 8, instead of preparing something for 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which is actually where we were at. Uh, I don't know why I forgot to do something for 2 Corinthians 7, so, uh, but uh, I will make that up to you. Maybe next week we'll go back to 2 Corinthians 7 and go over that. But since I prepared something for 2 Corinthians 8, that's what we'll, we'll go ahead and do today. And, um, and so without further ado, I see a laughing emoji happening from uh, somebody out there. It's fair game, totally fair game to laugh at my uh, silly mistake. Uh, good morning to Barbara and Cindy and Autry and uh, Bonnie and whoever else is watching. Thank you for tuning in this morning to hear from God's Word. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 15 reads like this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. End of reading. Well, today, as you might have picked up from the title uh, and from uh, just hearing the reading, we are going to be talking about generosity in the Christian life, which, of course, means to some extent we're going to be talking about money. Uh, now, before you get up and leave and close your computer, um, just hear me out a little bit about it. When it comes to the issue of money, of course, the church 
well, can be kind of mealy-mouthed about it and tends to err in, in one of, of two ways. Uh, the first way, of course, on, on the one hand, is that some churches talk about money far, far, far too much. Um, you've all seen and heard about the abuses that exist out there, and it seems for some, some preachers, especially the ones that have their own private jets named after them, uh, that every sermon just becomes another excuse to kind of exhort people to give more. And that tends to happen, unfortunately, in some of the poorest communities in the country. And I would say that that is often an abuse of how the Bible speaks about this topic. And so in response to that error, what has happened is that the church has swung maybe too far the other side, uh, to the other side in which preachers basically never talk about money. But the reality is the Bible talks about it all the time. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it all the time, especially uh, throughout his epistles. I mean, he's spending an awful lot of time, if you read between the lines, especially towards the end of his letters, trying to collect an offering to help a very poor, struggling church in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what this uh, section is about today. Uh, Paul is taking a collection uh, for the impoverished saints in Jerusalem from multiple churches. He has just picked up a collection or offering from the church in Macedonia. And Macedonia, like the church in Jerusalem, was actually poor themselves. But to Paul's surprise, it seems, they gave a tremendous love offering for the church in Jerusalem. Now, Paul is writing to a rather wealthy church in Corinth. And about a year previous to the writing of this letter, the church had committed to Paul that they intended on taking a large offering for him to take to this struggling church back home in Jerusalem. And so Paul is preparing to come to them, and it appears that there are rumors that they aren't quite ready with the offering. So in order to address this, Paul uses the Macedonian church as sort of an example to show what a generous church actually looks like and sort of holds them up as sort of this, this real standard. And so that's the, that's the topic for today. What is a generous church motivated by? What does it look like? You know, what, is, what goes into all this? So uh, first thing, first thing we see. Uh, for a generous church or a generous person, giving is seen as an act of worship in the Christian life. Uh, look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The way he uses grace of God there is not the typical way you might think of it. The way he uses grace of God here is actually a way of describing their gift. Skip on down to verse 4. They were begging us earnestly for the favor, again, same word, grace, of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So you hear what he's saying. He is, he is saying that by their giving to help these poorer Christians, they were indeed giving back to the Lord. Uh, in other words, Christian generosity, first and foremost, flows out of worship to God for his abundant, amazing grace and gifts given to you. Now, oftentimes in Christian circles, and I do it too, uh, when we think of worship, we tend to think of, I mean, if we're honest for a lot of us, we tend to think of the music part of the service. If we're from a higher church tradition, we might think of it more holistically if we're from a more liturgical setting because it's not so focused on, it's not so set apart between music and sermon. But the, the truth is, um, 
the whole of worship, when a church gathers together, the whole time it really is an act of worship. As a matter of fact, the liturgy was set up from the very beginning, and this is true in contemporary and quote-unquote traditional churches, really to be a long conversation between us and God. His word is proclaimed to us, we respond in song. His body and blood are given, we proclaim God's peace to one another. His word is preached, we respond with prayer and our financial offerings. Every worship service is designed to be a holy conversation between us and God where God calls his people, addresses his people, and we respond with praise and thanksgiving. And part of the way we respond with praise and thanksgiving is through our offerings. Now, so, so a generous church sees it as a part of their worship. It's not, uh, it's not something that's done out of obligation, but it's done as something out of gratitude. Secondly, uh, it is not based on circumstances, but, a, but according to a person's means. Generosity is not based on circumstances, but according to a person's means. Look at verses 2 through 4 again. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief in the saints. Notice it is in their affliction, in their poverty, that the wealth of generosity overflows. It is not after God has delivered them from their poverty, but even in the midst of it that they give. Because the Macedonians recognized and were so thankful for the grace of God that they had received in their lives, they gave as much as they could to help others so that they might be exposed to that same grace too. Mark 12 verses 41 through 44 tells a very short but I think powerful story of a widow who walks into the temple to give her offering and in the midst of it many rich people are putting in you know very large sums of money but all she has is two copper coins which basically add up to a penny. And Jesus calls his disciples to him and says to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed it out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So the, the principle, the principle is that we give not based on whether we feel like we have enough, we give in the midst of whatever circumstances we are, trusting that the Lord will be able to take care of us and will provide for our needs. So there is this sense in which our giving is an act of faith. It's an act of saying, God, I, I trust you with my life. And uh, money might be the thing that we find often the most security in. Our retirement accounts, our you know, ability to save or whatever, we can sort of and understandably so, we can sort of lean on that as a way to feel secure and to feel safe. But ultimately, God really is, uh, has called us to trust him with even that, with our money and with our offerings and with our gifts and that sort of thing. And so this church in Macedonia saw that and said we're, they, they gave abundantly. 
Now, on the other hand, does, you know, is there a call to those who have had a better time of it and are wealthy? Well, yeah, there, there is. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, which is very much a temptation uh, for those who are of means. But instead, set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I love that verse, by the way. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So if any utterly pietistic person comes up to you, skeptical that you're having too much fun, just quote that verse. Uh, they are to do good, it says, verse 18. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So here's the deal, folks. In my ministry, uh, you know, that's going on about 12 and a half years now, I have seen both uh, extremely generous, wealthy people and extremely generous, impoverished people. I have also seen extremely greedy, impoverished people and extremely greedy, wealthy people. I don't think that the amount of money has to do with the ind or indicates the heart of the person. I don't think that scripture says, if you have this much, you're inherently bad. I think it's about the heart behind what you do with what God has given you. And uh, so I have seen both, and I have been blessed by both in my ministry. Uh, thirdly, third aspect of this generous church in Macedonia is that they gave according to a plan. And indeed, generosity most of the time is uh, planned and thought through. The, the Corinthians had good intentions, it seems. Uh, just a year pre previous, they were promising to give this large gift to help out the saints in Jerusalem. But now it appears, as Paul draws near, that they might not quite be ready. Listen to verses 10 through 12. Quote, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So Paulus is saying a couple things uh, to the Corinthians. One, he's, he's emphasizing that plan that they had, but also he wants them to follow through with it. it you do get the sense from what he says here that maybe they were a little embarrassed because they maybe overpromised what they could give. And Paul says right at the end there, listen, if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. And, and I, I think that might be just another way of saying, you might think that your you know, dollar that you can put in the offering plate is no big deal. It's not the amount that matters. It's not the amount that matters. Uh, what matters is the heart behind the gift. And that's, I think, what Paul is emphasizing here. I, I have seen uh, somebody plan out their giving in a remarkable way. At my first parish that I served in California, Southern California, there was a man there named James. And James was, um, he had some uh, mental challenges, uh, but he was highly functioning enough that, that uh, he could live on his own. And, and he was able to hold down a job as a pizza delivery driver. Uh, he didn't make much money, obviously, doing that, but but uh, I was astonished as uh, a pastor there to see how he handled that money. I remember being at the church in the evening multiple times 
when he would stop by, still in his delivery uniform, right after his shift. And once he was there, he would pull out all the money he made in tips that night and place approximately 10% of it in an envelope as an offering to the church. And he would do this nearly every shift. And of course, I would ask him why he didn't just wait until church on Sunday, like just, you know, save it up. And his answer was just so honest and real. He says, I don't want to be tempted to spend it because I'm good at spending it. So I want to give it before I can spend it on something stupid. <laughs> he wanted to help others and he didn't want his money to go to something that wouldn't help others because he knew he was prone to that. And uh, all of us, of course, are prone to the same thing. And so, so James was just this great example of I'm going to plan it out, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make sure that it gets done no matter what. And the Macedonian church seems to display the same kind of, uh, of spirit behind their gifts. Uh, the, the generous church uh, is seen to be growing by their, their generosity. That's what Paul says in verse 7. It's, a, it's a, an evidence of growth to, to give. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, and Paul will go out of his way in the next chapter, in chapter 9, to say the same thing. I'm not commanding you. I don't want to burden you with this, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And so, so there is a sense in which there's, he wants them to grow in this, to excel in this, uh, the Corinthian church. And then finally, most importantly, the generous church is motivated by Christ's generosity to them. One of my favorite verses in all of the scripture, emphasizing again the great exchange language that was so robustly recovered in the Reformation, Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you see the joyous exchange there? These are the kinds of verses that the reformers built the entire movement upon. We were poor, he was rich, he exchanged himself in our place. We were lost, we were blind, dead in trespasses and sins, nothing to offer God, spiritually bankrupt. Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, having lived in perfect harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit, takes upon himself flesh. He heals us, he teaches us, he lives perfectly for us, he dies for us. He is forsaken for us on the cross. He becomes indeed poor. And why did he do it? To give us what he's always had. Perfect, rich, right relationship with the Father. Eternity in heaven, infinite glory, joy unspeakable. So he rises from the dead and as the scripture says, he carries captives in his train with him. By his poverty, we become rich. Or to put it another way, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it is, Paul anchors his whole sort of reason for our own generosity, for our own giving, in what God has given to us. And this is not... This is not some sort of guilt trip. I mean, this isn't like what you've often, or what you've maybe heard from pulpits, like, well, Jesus gave so much for you. How can you not give so much to them? No, it's just a, it's a reminder. 
Look at what all God has done for you. He's given you everything necessary to be his. And so let's go now, since we've been given all these riches by God, let's do the same for others that need our help. Get out there, serve and love and take care of our neighbor because that's ultimately what this generosity is used for. And that's what we'll uh, talk about uh, as we continue on with this look at generosity when we move into the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9. So, all right, gang, that is it for today. I uh, hope you have a blessed Tuesday, blessed rest of the week. May you live in the freedom of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blessing of our God and Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.